0: Hey, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I thank you for being with me. It's my great pleasure to welcome uh, to the air once again Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, who is executive director, excuse me, executive editor in Washington Bureau Chief for EWT News. He's also a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. are you, you're doing daily newsy things right now, Matthew. So your your book titles are not as numerous as they once were. You're not churning <laughs> right. them out, yeah. But you've got over fifty books in print, um, and um, including the first English language biography of Pope
1: Francis. And um, well, do you and, like uh, under the heading of the shameless plugs? I'm also uh, working on a documentary series for EWTN on oh. the Doctors of the Church. Oh,
0: very good, very good. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you do you like daily news stuff better than writing books?
1: Oh, well, to be honest, it it, uh, it may sound strange, but uh, I enjoy doing all of it. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of I always take the position that it's where God wants me at the moment.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I, I get <laughs> right. asked questions that, like that too, and yeah, I I'm happiest when I'm convinced I'm where God wants me.
1: Right. Yeah, and and having a chance to uh, live through history like we're seeing on a daily basis is uh, it's pretty remarkable. It and uh, just to be a part of it, and to have in some cases a front row seat to it, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a genuine privilege. And that to be able to work on things like the documentary series up too is uh, something. It uh, being able episode by episode to look at the lives and spend time with these doctors of the church, it, it's a reminder of my own. Failure in my own inconspicuous (laughs) holiness, but uh, a reminder too of how uh, the saints struggle and uh, that they're a great role model for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Oh, by the way, when is that going to be
1: available? Well, the uh, next episodes uh, we have a two-part Doctor of Doctors of the Church coming up, and uh, on Augustine, uh, which I'm very excited about. I think that's going to be one of my two of my favorite episodes so far. Yeah. And then from there to Ambrose of Milan, uh, and then Francis de sales. Nice, very good.
0: Well, let me let me uh, switch us to the moment, which sure. uh, there's a lot of lot of things popping. Uh, one of them, of course, the the continued discussion of synodality. We now have a, a letter from sixty plus bishops in the United States to uh, Archbishop Gomez, uh, pleading with him. Uh, to set aside this upcoming discussion regarding uh, communion for those uh, public officials who have been champions of abortion. Um, we also have a new a replacement for Cardinal Seurat. Tell me, do you know anything about him?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, so obviously a lot of attention has been paid uh, to two What were two vacant posts, uh, or at least two posts that everyone was expecting to be filled? The first is in the Congregation for Bishops, uh, which uh, is one of the most powerful in the Vatican, because whoever sits in that seat uh, will have a significant say in bishops being appointed around the world. Cardinal Mark Ouellette is expected to uh, retire. And the second post uh, was exactly what uh, happened today, which is uh, a new prefect for the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of Sacraments. That's especially notable because of the uh, retirement of Cardinal Robert Serra, who, as all of us uh, who <laughs> know him and follow him and read him, uh, that he is one of the great cardinals in the Church today, right. and a brilliant voice for faithful Orthodox Catholicism, and uh, I think an under- a deep understanding of Catholic life and, and culture. So he has been been, um, and there's been some speculation as to who might follow him, as to what sort of a, a message Pope Francis might be sending liturgically and, and in terms of how we worship. Uh, and his choice then was Archbishop Arthur Roach, uh, who uh, was previously the, the bishop in England uh, of the diocese of Leeds, uh, who has up until now been the secretary for the congregation. So, in other words, uh, Pope Francis decided to stay sort of with the team. We hmm. kept it in-house, and we okay. promoted up uh, the man who'd been current secretary. Now, it's useful also to know that that the Archbishop Roach, in that position as secretary, is, as all secretaries do in these congregations and councils, he is responsible for the execution of so much of the daily work within a congregation. So I think Pope Francis chose him, A, because he likes him by every account, and uh, B, uh, he has somebody who's already very familiar with the workings of this dicastery. So do
0: we do we know Cardinal Seurat's attitude?
1: As far as I know, the two had a very cordial working relationship. Okay. okay. Uh, so, and, and Cardinal Seurat, as uh, I know you and I have talked on this show, you've had many guests who talked about it, there has been over the last couple of years that's the speculation that somehow there was a uh, bad blood, or something like that, between Cardinal Seurat and then the Pope, right. and uh, that I think Cardinal Seurat has gone out of his way to try to debunk.
0: Yeah, good.
1: And as we saw, there were some photos just a couple of weeks ago, the two of them meeting, and clearly that was cordial. And uh, had there been some sort of a major issue, Pope Francis would have been able to accept Cardinal Seurat's resignation last year. But instead. Uh, really kept him in this position for quite some time even though he was eligible for retirement
0: hmm, okay uh, so we the best we can say at this point is that uh, Roach worked with sarah uh, they best we know they had a cordial relationship it doesn't mean that he's going to be an echo of uh, sarah but uh, it does mean that I mean it, it would be it would be surprising to see I would think, it'd be surprising to see major new initiatives or initiatives that would be in complete contradiction to what had previously been there.
1: Uh, I think that's probably safe to say. Archbishop Roach has, uh, because of his uh, particular relationship with Pope Francis, uh, has in not too distant past been working as uh, somebody who reflects uh, Pope Francis's desires in terms of uh, a lot of liturgical issues. Uh, so, for example, we know that uh, Archbishop Roach was tasked uh, with uh, writing a commentary to a, a, a motu proprio that came out uh, in 2017 uh, that really moved a lot of the responsibility for the translation of liturgical texts uh, to Episcopal conferences uh, for regions and, and like national Epi- Episcopal conferences. So of course is that uh and this ties in some ways to the synodality conversation that the local conferences were given more authority in mm-hmm. terms of translations rather than everything having to go through Rome. So I think Archbishop Roach uh in a way more than Cardinal Sarah uh will represent um some of the, the thinking of Pope Francis. Okay. Not that again, the Cardinal Seurat was some sort of a rebel.
0: Right. Okay. So, so I mean, this is always this, this question of centralization, decentralization, uh, the local church, the universal church, um, the local bishop, uh, the the, the uh, Holy See. Uh, what's the the proper balance here? Uh, this is always difficult. Uh, it seems to me because uh, certainly. Uh, the, the church stresses unity uh, rather than uniformity, and that mm-hmm. means that in the church has always been has talked about from St. Paul forward has talked about inculturation, the idea that uh, you know to communicate the gospel effectively uh, is not only a matter of getting the message right; it's also a matter of communicating it properly to a particular audience and that may change uh, you know people from um, somalia are going to hear the gospel uh differently than people from uh scotland so you you've got all kinds of th- local customs and initiatives that that play into uh liturgical norms so i guess the question is always the balance here and would would uh uh Archbishop Roach have a reputation for favoring local control as opposed to central Roman control?
1: Yeah, I think uh, as somebody who uh, clearly sees himself as a uh, representative of the thinking of Pope Francis, I think his embrace will be uh, that of uh, synodality, uh, you know, we're going to talk more about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the certain amount of decentralization, as we saw with uh, his authoring of that commentary for the, the motu proprio, okay. I think he's somebody that Pope Francis uh, wants in this position uh, to carry forward
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: on the liturgical side, a lot of that. Now, what that would mean in practical terms uh, is loosening up some of the direct Roman control over some liturgical practices and other things. Uh, having said that, uh, I think we'll see also some changes potentially with the couple of the other appointments, uh, that were also made around the same time, because this is getting sleepy into the inside baseball here, but with his promotion, uh, Archbishop Roach's departure from his position as secretary opened up that position as well. Uh, and that then was filled, uh, with, uh, an Italian bishop by the name of Vittorio Francesco Viola uh, as the new secretary. And then a new undersecretary was appointed as well who's a, a Spaniard. Okay. Uh, so we're seeing right from while the top remains uh, with somebody who has long experience here, we're seeing a number of changes and appointments within the structure of that leadership. Okay. And uh, that, I think... We're going to have to see what happens. Bishop Viola is uh, is a member of the Franciscans.
0: Uh, He
1: was a custodian of the papal basilica of St. Mary of the Angels in Assisi.
0: And Uh, and he's also
1: head of Assisi Caritas.
0: Okay. um, How about uh, the Spanish Monsignor Marcius?
1: Yes. uh, Well, he's he's worked uh, within the congregation itself for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, but notably he holds a doctorate in liturgy from the San Anselmo in Rome. So he is clearly well-trained yeah, uh, yeah. in the area of liturgy. So again, those three, uh, Roche, and now Viola, uh, and now the Spaniard, uh, Garcia Marcias, all of them have experience with working within this congregation. So this is going to be some sort of a sudden arrival of people who have not worked here before.
0: Okay. Uh, when you look at the three together, is there any way of reading the tea leaves on this, uh, what the future yeah, I, holds?
1: Well, I think it's very, it's very European, Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, they're going to be very obedient to the vision that Pope Francis has.
0: Okay. Uh, Matthew, can you stay with me for another segment? Absolutely. Very good. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, my guest, yeah, this is our weekly look at... Uh, Church news, what, what's actually going on institutionally. And uh, we want to come back and talk about this topic of synodality and what's at stake. There are lots
1: of great ways to stay connected with Ave Maria Radio, like our Poll of the Week. This week we want to know Has your diocese removed the general dispensation from ASEAN? Let us know now at AveMariaRadio.net. Scroll down on the homepage and click on Poll of the Week talking about the things that matter most. You're listening to Cresta in the Afternoon.
0: And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, with me, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Let's switch the conversation to the, what is being called the Upcoming Vatican Synod on Synodality, which will be a multi-year global process, and the uh, Under this large umbrella of synodality, we'll also go back to look at the ongoing National Synod in Germany. Now, synodality uh, is one of those really terrible words that you wonder why. Most people don't know what a synod is in the first place. It's not what we use. It's not the way we describe uh, how we conduct our gatherings. We don't talk in terms of synods. It's an older word. I mean, Microsoft spell check doesn't even have a correction for synodality. Um, so this is this is a kind of a specialized term that's coming out of you might call it ecclesiastical English. Um, but let's, what is a synod? Let's start with that.
1: Right. Well, a synod, uh, just in the broadest possible sense, uh, is uh, a gathering. It's a, a council. Uh, It's uh, often used, the term, though, uh, synodality is used as a a kind of um, discernment and collaboration. Uh, But you've made a very important point, Al, and that is, uh, prior to the pontificate of Pope Francis, the term synod uh, and uh, the term synodality in particular uh, were largely unheard of. Right. And it, not, it doesn't mean that they didn't exist and that he doesn't have a theological foundation for utilizing the concepts and other things. But, as you say, this is a, we tended to be a much more conciliar uh, type of an approach to things, Yeah, as we saw with the Second Vatican Council. Uh, now, you can say that uh, this, once the Second Vatican Council wanted to establish, and then Pope Paul VI did establish, uh the The Synod of Bishops, I think we embarked on a process that uh, inevitably in some ways led us here
0: the is the point this ga, this emphasis on synodality this uh, gathering together has been called uh, an ecclesial adventure by Cardinal Morio gretsch um mm-hmm. Since we are all connected, uh, I assume he means all members of the body of Christ here, since we are all connected, the contribution of everyone is precious in this process of mutual listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there's two ways of hearing this. Right. Uh, One of them is to hear it as a way of asking all of us, lay, ordained, religious, To be responsible disciples of Christ and to, um, you know, live uh, in the light as he is in the light, to uh, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, all of that. And who can argue with that, right? That's fine. Right. But it can also mean that none of us is privileged when it comes to the establishment of authoritative doctrine. and. I've noticed some of these people will appeal to 1 John 2.27 where uh, we hear about uh, an anointing which uh, Christians have received and that uh, having received this an- anointing, no one, you have no need of a teacher because this anointing that you've received concerning all things is true. Now, it, it, there's an irony here, of course, because, of course, John can't possibly mean by that that if you receive the anointing you have no need of a teacher because that would also right. mean you have no need of getting a letter from an apostle either. <laughs> you, know, right. you got the anointing, I don't need the apostle. So, but but I've heard it used this way, that somehow the laity must be consulted now on, this, on areas of doctrine. And the appeal is to, again, John Henry Newman and his discussion of the uh, sense of the faithful. Can you Clarify. I mean, to the degree that you can, can you clarify where this this ecclesial adventure is supposed? Somebody, somebody has an intention for this. I simply don't believe that uh, it's it's open game here. I mean, where is this going?
1: Well, there are a couple of uh, uh, models that we can look at uh, in this pontificate. Uh, and in some ways, we can go back, as I was just mentioning, to the very start of the Synod of Bishops back in the, in the 1960s and the 1970s, uh, and as a as a process of collegiality among the bishops, as a process of collaboration to deal with the issues that are facing the Church. Yeah. Now, the Synod of Bishops has been the go-to mechanism and process for Francis. Uh, we see the elevation of its importance uh in the number of synods he's had, the topics that he's chosen, now I think he's using the synod, which has been reconstructed in a lot of ways and how it functions, Uh, and I think he sees in Cardinal Mario Grech uh, from Malta uh, as the guy to do it uh, going forward, Uh, that this is the process he wants in place, and that means um, this bringing together of all the different viewpoints uh, Francis stresses this idea of walking together in a process, and we've seen how that has played out in particular in, in two things. The the synod on the family, the two that were there the, in 2014 and 2015, that led, of course, very controversially to Amoris Laquitia, mm-hmm. and then to the Amazonian synod, uh, which didn't have the full weight of the regular ordinary synod, but this is something that was focused on Amazonia, but nevertheless have the same characteristics in which there seemed to be this endless back and forth where everything seemed for a while to be on the table. Uh, if we go back to the, the synods on the family, uh, topics that would have been unthinkable were open, communion to the divorce, for example, and remarried. Uh, and in Amazonia, you add uh, in the final document itself certain proposals uh, that uh well, Francis ultimately did not accept. So we can see that Francis wants this process of discussion and collaboration and, and everyone walking together. But at the end of the day, he's the one, as is his right. but as is particularly the case with Francis, he is the one who decides what goes and what stays in that process. So it's this interesting balance of allowing all the sides to be heard with himself in the middle, always maintaining the center of gravity.
0: But this becomes, I mean, I mean if this process is being opened up to laity, um, is this going to be opened up? I guess the question that people like myself have, mm-hmm. who speaks for the church? Do When well, this is all said and done, what will, will we have a, a congregational model of uh, Church leadership here, rather than an Episcopal?
1: This is where uh, we run headlong into two things. The synodal path that's underway in Germany right now, which right. clearly envisions precisely what you're talking about. And now this reconfigured uh, process of work for what was supposed to be the a synod on synodality, and it's hard to say that without a smile, (laughs) Uh, the synod on synodality, scheduled originally for October in 2022, has now been kicked to 2023, because the next two years are going to be spent uh, in this relentless process of assessment on the diocesan, national, and even continental region levels of discussion. So, we can see with the German process the real dangers that are present uh, if this kind of synodal path goes off the rails uh, and it falls into the hands of radicals, which I think many would say it have, that has been the case with yeah. this uh, Central Committee of Lay Catholics in Germany in collaboration with uh, uh, clearly uh, radical theologians, and, and a number of bishops are willing to go along with it. Now we're going to see the the worry that that same type of a process could play out across dioceses and national and and continental dimensions, uh, as everyone hurriedly throws together uh, these reports that are going to be expected, because the clock will just keep ticking. So we don't know exactly what's going to end up being sent to Rome as a result of these discussions on these different levels. It ultimately will have to be synthesized and then presented as an and laboris for the Senate of Bishops when it convenes in twenty twenty three. So there's a lot to worry about uh, as to the process itself and then where it all could be headed once it reaches Rome again.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, it uh, is of concern to me. I mean, once 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 people begin talking about changing the process, it and you ask, well, where where, where do you think this ought to go? They back away because they want to focus on the process. But most of the time, the process is set up in such a way that certain conclusions and content can be smuggled in. So if we democrat, you know, let's take a look at the United States here where if you take a poll of those who... Uh, claim to be Catholic and who probably are baptized Catholics uh, it, there certainly is a difference uh, in the doctrines that that are held by those of us who uh, spend time uh, reading the scriptures reading the catechism trying to understand the mind of Christ uh, looking over the history of the church and the lives of the saints but um, people who really occupy themselves that way come to a different understanding of the truth of the faith than those who are showing up once or twice a year to Mass and who basically are glad to ride the popular opinion of American uh, culture. So uh, you find that those who are uh, Catholic, uh, cultural Catholics, you might call them, I don't know what the right word would be, Uh, generally favor same-sex so-called marriage. Uh, They Mm -hmm. uh, have a weak view. Uh, They see the the papacy as largely a ceremonial position rather than an authoritative teaching position. And so when people begin talking about expanding the franchise, so to speak, um, they usually are talking about throwing their arms around those who are alienated in some way from the church, who do not respect the church's present teaching, and they imagine that by throwing their arms around these folks and saying, hey, we love you, we accept you, that somehow they're going to uh, all of a sudden become really active, vibrant Catholics. When in fact, what it, the way it looks to me, is they're simply gathering numbers uh, to begin votes on questions about doctrine and practice, which I find abhorrent.
1: Well, exactly, and... Uh... This model uh, has, for this ecclesiological, ecclesiastical model, uh, has existed for quite some time, in, in the shape of the mainline Protestant churches. Yeah, yeah, and uh, certainly from the Anglican model, we have seen that with uh, the depressing and lamentable results of having exactly the opposite result of the one that was promised. Yeah. Rather than bringing this Pentecost, this moment of new Pentecost and, and vibrant and everything else, in fact the numbers just keep declining.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very ineffective in reaching people with the gospel. Well, we could talk about this much more, but I think we're going to have this topic with us for a while. I when it first came up, I thought it was going to it was just going to bubble away, you know, but I it looks as though this is really part of the Holy Father's uh, agenda—he—he he wants to move okay. in this direction. So, Matthew, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much.
1: God bless.